everybody. Welcome back to the Tipsy Coast. We're your tipsy hosts, Sarah, Sarah, and Lindsay. Hi, hey guys. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Things are going a little differently. <laughs> I tried something new. Yeah, your your inflections changed, and then Boydson <laughs> tried to beat me to the punch again. I was trying to switch it up. I, I appreciate the uh, switch. I was feeling um, like I didn't want to come last today, so. Okay. So I, I'm last. <laughs> it's you. You came it's in me. last. I have a PSA. Okay. I know our demographics are mostly women in their late 20s to 40s, um, and this will apply to every single one of you. Okay. Okay. Did you know that there is an Mbop 2.0? What? Like a remix? They Hanson came out with a, an adult version of Mbop. Is, is it like Mbop indie? not an adult version? <laughs> no, no, because they were like children. Are there <laughs> no, it's the same oh. song. It's the same song. Shit pop. <laughs> Shit pop. Wait, what? I said, are there cuss words? And she said, shit pop. <laughs> shit pop. <laughs> Fuck you. Ba boom bop. <laughs> Dick. <laughs> Penis pop. Oh. <laughs> it's the adult version of Bob. <laughs> I'm so sorry, Bob. Hanson Brothers. Oh. They just go by Hanson now. Oh. And okay, all right, all right. it's the exact same song, but whenever they <laughs> whenever we first heard this song, they were babies. They were yeah, yeah. they teeny, had the long hair. Teeny tiny babies. They're now jamming out on that they keyboard. Are, they are grown. Yeah, they're our age. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Thank you for saying grown instead of old. <laughs> they're grown. They're mature. And so so is Mbop. It's like it's just an upgraded version. It's like it grew up with us. I highly recommend you listen to Mbop 2.0. Where it, can I find this song? Anywhere you listen to music. I love oh, that. That's adorable. It's very nostalgic. Mm -hmm. Who gets to tell us a story? Me. We're so musical lately. <laughs> Thank you for meeting me at that. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> I just enjoyed it. I have a smorgy, smorgy, smorg for you. No, no girl, you got to sing it. Smorgy, smorgy, smorg. Smorgy, smorgy, smorg. Yes. Smorgasbord. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I felt like I was at a concert. Yes. <laughs> yeah. I'm your backup singer. You're more than my backup singer. You're my inspiration for the story. You're my inspiration. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Me? You. Oh. Boydson texted me a few days ago and goes, I don't know if you started your story. Oh, because I, I knew she hadn't. Had I started my story now? <laughs> so here's an idea. <laughs> I did this story at three in the morning. Love <laughs> the this. Best ones. So she gave me an idea. Okay. And this is about the Stanford Prison Experiment. Okay. I love this story so much. I do too. I just knew that you would have a better take on it than I would. So, well, here's the thing, y'all. Okay. It has been a few years since I've been undergrad school. So, uh. Some of this is from memory and some of it I had to look up some stuff. That's okay. All right. So the Stanford Prison Experiment is a pretty well-known psychological experiment that was conducted from August 14th to the 21st in 1971 by Stanford University. And it is basically to answer the age-old question of personality versus environment. Which affects which? Hmm. Here we go. 
spoiler alert it did not answer that question really <laughs> oh okay well they tried they tried so All right. it's still a mystery it's still a mystery the team was led by professor dr philip zimbardo professor doctor <laughs> <laughs> because it's dr zimbardo things <laughs> it's dr zimbardo but he is like not a medical doctor he is a psychology phd <laughs> professor you assholes <laughs> He is both, okay? He sounds very official. He is not just a doctor, he is a professor doctor. <laughs> professor, it's professor doctor to you. <laughs> By professor, comma, doctor, Philip Zimbardo. Got it. Does that make it better? Mm-hmm. Okay. <laughs> I hate you. He just wanted to get it all out there. Make sure I'm everybody on, called like, him line everything. <laughs> <laughs> All right, the study was a two-week simulation of a prison environment that was examining the effects of situational variables on participants' reactions and behaviors. So basically what they did, they had the basement of the Stanford Psychology Building, which was used to conduct their experiment. And their official experiment goal was, quote, we wanted to see what the psychological effects were of becoming a prisoner or a prison guard. To do this, we decided to set up a simulated prison and then carefully note the effects of this institution on the behavior of all of those within its walls, end quote. Hmm. Fun fact, the study was funded by the U.S. Office of Naval Research. Okay. The Navy gave them some money. We gotta know. They said they wanted to understand antisocial behaviors, but really people think that they wanted to know how to like Mm -hmm. intimidation and interrogation tactics. Got it. So both the Navy and the Marines were interested, and they said that they wanted to investigate conflict between military guards and their prisoners. Um, okay. We're going to talk about the logistics before we get to the actual experiment. So this is the prep work. So participants were recruited from the community. They placed an ad in the newspaper offering $15 a day to male students who wanted to participate in, quote, a psychological study of prison life. So that is about $108 today. So 100 bucks a day for college right. students. It's pretty would, significant. I would take that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I did the math later. So they were committing to two weeks, which was um, just short of $1,500. Okay, so for two weeks. That's a lot of money. So 75 men applied, and they did psych assessments and screened the participants to decide who was going to participate, and they ended up finding 26 men. They were randomly assigned to either being a prisoner or a prison guard. They literally flipped a coin and decided. So that leaves, of those 26, they had 18 involved with six substitutes, we'll call them. So nine guards, nine prisoners, three subs each. So the applicants were predominantly white, middle class, and they were deemed by the psychological assessments to be stable and healthy. They intentionally excluded anyone who had a criminal background and anyone who had a medical problem or a psychological impairment of some kind. Was this to have like an even playing field for mm-hmm. everybody? Right. You don't want someone who has like a criminal background to skew. Mm-hmm. They had to level the playing field. Like the aggressions. Yeah. Yes. Okay. So the guards were given uniforms to purposely diminish any individuality among them. So everyone's dressed the same. They were given mirrored sunglasses so that way nobody could see their eyes. And again, to kind of remove them from everyone. They were instructed to prevent prisoners from escaping. And we'll get more to kind of what they were instructed to do as well. So like I said, this was in the basement of the psych building. They set up a small mock prison cells that would hold three prisoners each. So we have nine prisoners, three cells. 
There was a small corridor, corridor for the prison yard, a closet that they used for solitary confinement, and a big room across from the cells where the guards and the warden would be. So the room was 35 feet long, and they put up like fake walls for the entrance and exit. The cells were 7 feet by 10 feet, which is not very big for three adult mm-hmm. men. They were unlit. There was a cot with a mattress for each prisoner, a sheet and a pillow. The guards had a separate area that they were staying in, but they were given access to these areas to rest and relax when they were not on duty, whereas the prisoners, they're pretty much on duty 24-7. Got it. The guards worked in teams of three for eight-hour shifts. They were not required to stay on site for their shift, but many of them actually did. The day before the experiment began, the guards were invited to go to orientation. So they were given some rules. The two main rules, one, do not physically harm the patients. Two, do not withhold food or drink. And then there was a couple discrepancies with other rules. One of the rules said that they were supposed to maintain law and order in whichever way they saw fit. And we'll kind of get to this a little bit later, but some people say that they were given more directions than that. But those were supposedly their only two rules. Got it. Don't hurt them. Don't withhold food and drink. Right. So they were given those little nightsticks. I was like, pitchforks? I don't know. What are you doing? <laughs> like what the what like guards yeah. that they nightsticks. Nightsticks. That's <laughs> yeah. what they're called. Okay. That's what I call mine if that was the official term. I feel like it is. All right. They were given a nightstick. And like I said, they had the uniforms and the sunglasses to prevent any eye contact, keep them anonymous. So obviously they're recording this. They're documenting all of this. And so recordings show that the guards were instructed by the researchers to disrespect the prisoners and to make them feel submissive and helpless. So they were telling them to be aggressive, do whatever you want to do, blah, 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 just don't hurt them. They were told to refer to them by their numbers. So each prisoner had a number instead Mm -hmm. of their names to dehumanize them. Okay. So the next day the experiment starts and this is August 15th. And they're really going to start off with a bang here. The prisoners. So we're going to, we'll talk about how unethical this whole thing was. So this is number one. The prisoners were mock arrested by real police and brought to the basement. They were picked up at their homes. They were not told about any of this before and were completely caught off guard. And so this, they weren't even told that they were chosen for the study? They were told that they were chosen for the okay. study. They knew they'd be the prisoners and they, they knew the know, day like, it would start. They didn't know how not, it would go about. They did not know police would you. come to their house and arrest them. That seems traumatizing. Yeah. Not only arrest them, they took them to the actual police department. They oh, booked geez. them. They fingerprinted them. They took their <sighs> mug shots. They read them their Miranda rights. And they strip searched them, Hmm. put them in their prison outfits. Okay. Which is basically like a smock. They had no underwear on whatsoever. Okay. Like no pants either? No. It's like a nightgown almost. No pantaloons? Just a (laughs) moo-moo. Just a (laughs) moo-moo. That opens in the back. (laughs) They put a chain with one ankle, chain around one ankle. Not like connected to anything, but like just like a handcuff chain. (laughs) For some reason, I was picturing those chain wallets. (laughs) In the moo-moo? <laughs> there was no pockets like in the moo-moo. down to the back of their smock. I don't know. They had a little, like, night, like a, a cap almost, you know okay. what I'm saying? Like a sleeping cap. I don't that know seems what else. more important than, like, socks. You yeah. Know. A cap. <laughs> Gotta keep, keep their underwear. head worn. <laughs> um, they were given their new identities, which is their, like, ID number. And then they were blindfolded and taken to the Stanford Psychology Department where the prison was. 
So not starting off well, because this is already a breach in the ethics of the contract Zimbardo had them sign. Okay. <laughs> starting off strong. Yes. And they were transported to the fake prison with sirens, like lights and sirens on and everything. Oh, man. Yeah. Those are only for emergencies. The police really went all out on this. They're probably this excited. An emergency. <laughs> <laughs> I gotta arrest people. <laughs> a fake arrest. Can you imagine being at your house and all of a sudden the police show up and all of this and you're like, like you're having a family dinner, your grandma's over, <laughs> and just get arrested? Really seem like a good use of funds for police officers. Either. That's what I'm saying. Why are they all in on this? I don't know. Something's fucked up. <laughs> lots <laughs> of things fucked up about it, but lots of things starting good. off weird. Yeah. So they get to. The prison, in quotation marks here. So the, once they got there, the warden, again, in quotation marks, and we'll get to... The warden was a research assistant. His name was David Haffey. <gasps> not a real warden? He was not a real okay, warden. Well, I guess that makes sense. So he met with the prisoners and explained the rules of their prison. They were confined to their cells and the yard that they had set up all day and all night until the experiment would finish, which was for two weeks. And I say yard, it's like extra space in the building they don't get to go outside oh it's not like an actual yard <laughs> okay hmm. this seems like even worse than mm -hmm. real life scenarios i don't know i've never really been to prison but it's like the stanford death row experiment yeah they did have a prison consultant um oh, before okay. they set this all up is that a real job Apparently. Like he used like he was a guard for an actual prison oh. and he consulted with the Kinda psychology department. The ins to, and outs. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I'm with you. So I think that's where they borrowed a lot of this stuff from. So on the second day, August sixteenth, at two thirty in the morning, the guards woke the prisoners up by whistling and clanging their nightsticks along the bars. Prisoners were upset and rebelled by refusing to leave their cells to go to the yard, ripped off all of their ID, like their number tags, and insulted the guards. They also barricaded their cells by pushing all of their beds up against the doors. The guards, in response, sprayed a fire extinguisher at the prisoners to establish control. Oh, my. Was, was that in the playbook? Mm -hmm. Like I said, the only rule was do no harm and establish law and order. And they basically let them go from there. So it seemed very vague. Yeah, it's We very probably vague. should have had some more rules. Yeah. <laughs> there definitely should have been more rules. <laughs> The, like take do what you want do what Just, you want maybe that was part of the experiment though too to see how far they would push it mm -hmm. they insulted me let me get a fire extinguisher yeah. i don't like spray, what spray. they did they're not mm. listening to me yeah. I'm, I'm fake in charge and they're not listening i don't know why they're upset it's 2 30 in the morning i'm gonna spray this on them let's see if it works <laughs> so did it, work? it did not mm. it, it worked in making them more mad that's what's good did it piss them off more yeah yes <laughs> The three backup guards were even called in to help get control. Not the backups. The backups. Oh, like I said, they were allowed, the guards were allowed to go home and sleep yeah. when they were on shift, but a lot of them didn't. This is what they did in response. They removed all of the prisoners' clothes. Oh, so they're, they're naked? naked? They're naked. What they removed the, the mattresses. <laughs> I don't know about the hat. <laughs> you can keep her hat. <laughs> Put it over the groin. <laughs> Tie it around the back. It's a now. <laughs> <laughs> they removed the mattresses because they were barricading themselves right and they sentenced who they thought was the instigators like the ringleaders here <laughs> to the hole aka solitary confinement Not the hole the ringlings <laughs> the ringlings <laughs> that was another kind of discrepancy i saw one of the rules they said 
was you could only go to solitary confinement for an hour. I don't know if that was actually put in place. Damn like if it. that was clearly defined. Okay. So basically they're using psychological warfare here. They're using sleep deprivation, all the things. And further rebellion was squashed for the moment. And one of the guards was reported as saying, these are dangerous prisoners. Yeah, it's giving Russian sleep experiment. Mm-hmm. Kind of. Day three, August 17th. So the guards started instigating some some drama. Mm-hmm. They're stirring the pot with They're the prisoners. Just, seems like they have been the whole time, but yes. Oh, yes. Proceed. They start to separate the prisoners and oh, reward boy. those who are snitching and doing good and Kept. punishing the bad ones. So they start turning on each other, the prisoners do. So those who were rewarded were in the good cell, which had clothes that they could get dressed back in, had their beds back, and they were getting food that the rest of the jail was being denied. Hmm. They broke a rule. They restricted food. Oh. Oh. How about that? hmm After 12 hours, they were finally returned to their old cells, but they still were not allowed their beds. They were allowed their clothes, but not their beds. So they're sleeping on the floor at this point. And their moo-moos. Mm-hmm. And they continue the sleep deprivation. They're waking them up at all hours of the night, making them do push-ups, jumping jacks. Just to be dicks, basically. Yeah, Because they can. They're authority figures. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Guards were basically allowed to abuse their power here. So they humiliated the prisoners. They made them refer to themselves as their ID numbers. They would wake them up at all hours of the night to do count-offs. They restricted their access to the bathroom. So at night, overnight, they gave them a bucket in the cells and told them to use that bucket. They would not let them out to go to the bathroom. And then they stopped eventually even cleaning out the bucket and just letting it sit there with the smell. Mm, That's just gross. So at this point, we're 36 hours in. (laughs) 36 hours. Oh, gosh. Yeah, that's not very long. (laughs) For two weeks. And prisoner 8612, Douglas Corpy, breaks. So he was the first prisoner to leave the experiment. After 36 hours, he started having a breakdown, and it is on video of him screaming and crying, and he says, quote, Jesus Christ, I'm burning up inside. I can't stand another night. I just can't take it anymore. And then the research assistant uh, was quoted as saying that he began to act crazy, scream, curse, and to go into a rage that seemed out of control. So after witnessing this, the research assistant, Craig Haney, agreed to release him from the experiment. Several, several, several years later in 2017, Corpy stated that this was fake. He said that he had to study for the GRE, which is the graduate exam, and he wanted to leave so he could do that because he thought when he signed up for the, like, the study that he would be allowed to study while he was in prison and mm-hmm. realized pretty quickly there was so no studying. Like, I got to get the fuck out of here. Yeah. So he said he faked it all just to get out so he yeah. could study. But also, I mean, I kind of believe that he was having a breakdown. <laughs> yeah. I mean... 36 hours and they hadn't been allowed to sleep really yeah that's awful zimbardo in 2018 responded to this and said that he had to treat this breakdown as real and release him and he thinks that it was actually real and he was just lying to cover himself Mm -hmm. um he said that corpy was in a documentary back in 1992 and he had said then that the prison experiment deeply affected him and even led him to later becoming a prison psychologist himself Hmm. interesting so who knows if it was real or not but there's that so day four, August 18th, the prisoners started to separate themselves from each other. They're turning on each other because the guards are pretty much dividing them. They would reward some. They would isolate others. They still do not have their mattresses and are sleeping on the floor. 
So they're all blaming each other, trying to basically get their things back. And another prisoner starts to show signs of a breakdown. And this is prisoner 819. He was crying in his cell. And at this point, um, Zimbardo brings in a priest to come talk to all of them to see how they're doing, to check in. I just want to check in. Yeah. I just want to talk. Just want to see how you're doing, bud. See how it's going. So the priest goes to meet with prisoner 819. And he is crying, inconsolable, asked to see a doctor, like a medical doctor. So they move him to another room to wait for the medical doctor. And during this time, the guards are forcing the other prisoners to yell, 819 did a bad thing. 819 is a bad prisoner. And 819 can hear all of this. So the researchers realize this and they go to check on 819 and he is inconsolable, sobbing uncontrollably in the room, like... Hmm awful and so they are like look you can go you can be released blah 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 and he says he can't leave because he is a bad prisoner oh that's really sad it's not it's been like what two days day four. Oh, poor guy so zimbardo has to come in and intervene and he says quote listen you are not 819 you are said whatever his name is yeah my name is Dr. Zimbardo. I am a psychologist, not a prison superintendent, and this is not a real prison. This is just an experiment, and those are students, not prisoners, just like you. Let's go. And he said, as soon as he said that, 819 stopped crying, said, okay, and left. Mm. But he was like, I had, he basically talked about it years later, and he was like, I had to remind him that this was not real. Yeah. Because he was so wrapped up in his role. Wow. Day five, August 19th. It's visitation day at the prison. Yay. Oh, good. So we're going to bring in our families. Oh, our gosh. families that are traumatized because they saw us arrested. <laughs> and our friends. And also have no idea, probably because you can't call home. Right. And tell them what's happening. Right. Yeah. No, no phone calls. Yeah. <laughs> so Zimbardo and the guards said, well, let's, let's clean them up first. <laughs> so they fed them dinner. Oh, they no. put the rooms back together so the mattresses were back and made sure that they looked cleaned up. Before allowing visitors back. I hope it smelled better, too. I hope so, too. the buckets. Yeah. Yeah, they they cleaned out the buckets. They probably removed the buckets. Disgusting. Um, They made the visitors wait for long periods of time to even see the prisoners acting like a real prison. Only two visitors at a time could come in to see a prisoner and only for 10 minutes with a guard watching at all times. 10 minutes? That's not like a real prison? Mm -mm. And can you imagine, like, also being isolated from the world and everyone? 10 minutes isn't enough to say anything, really. Mm -mm. So parents show up and they are concerned. I bet they are. Several uh, threatened to call lawyers. (laughs) Several threatened Zimbardo and demanded that he release them. And at that point, he's like, they're free to go. They don't want to go. Zimbardo's colleagues come to check on the progress as well. So one of them is Gordon H. Bauer. And he arrives to check on the experiment, and he questions Zimbardo pretty hard about what was going on here. He's like, what's even your independent variable here? What are you even trying to measure? Right. Um, and then Christina Maslock visits, and she is Zimbardo's girlfriend, later becomes his wife, but she was also a PhD student. And Dr. She, professor? <laughs> she's Dr. Maslock. <laughs> she wasn't a professor. Oh, okay. She's a social psychologist and was extremely upset. After she saw everything that happened, she watched the guards abuse the prisoners. She watched that they were putting bags over the prisoners' heads at one point. That's just terrible. So she challenged Zimbardo on this. She said that he had a lack of oversight. She challenged him on the morality of everything. Inhumane. 
Mm-hmm. And further told him that his role as the superintendent had made him into someone that she did not recognize or like. Mm, so it had gone to his head as well. Mm-hmm. And she told him, quote, it's terrible what you are doing to these boys. She's right. She's right. hundred percent. Day six, August 20th, Zimbardo did not like what his colleagues had to say to him, and that, combined with the parents' threats, made him decide to end the experiment early after only six days. So he gathered the prisoners and the guards and the researchers, and he explained that the experiment was over, but everyone's going to get paid for the full two weeks, so about $1,500 in today's money. Then he meets with the prisoners for several hours to debrief with them. He met with the guards after that, and then he brought everyone together. They were all asked to complete like a survey and return in a week to share it. Later in 2008, Zimbardo was quoted as saying, it wasn't until much later that I realized how far into my prison role I was at that point, that I was thinking like a prison superintendent rather than a research psychologist. Yes. So he's like, oh, hey, my girlfriend was right. I'm glad somebody could get through to him. That's Mm -hmm. probably why they got married. Yeah. Probably why. (laughs) Sounds romantic. (laughs) (laughs) So now we're going to talk about the results of the study. Okay. And this is where we're going to get into some theories. So according to Zimbardo, according to him, this is what he drew his conclusions as, is that the experiment demonstrated the simulated prison situation caused the participants' behaviors rather than their own individual personality traits. And he compared the results with the Milgram experiment. Have you heard of the Milgram experiment? No. No. Okay. So this is another social experiment that Yale University did 10 years prior. And this is fascinating you can watch the video on youtube so they basically have this authority figure telling these people to administer electric shocks oh yes to a random person and And can they go through with it right can they go through it can they not and they're not actually administering electric shocks no one's getting hurt but they found that people were administering fatal yes shocks to people because they were being told to and you can watch like i remember watching this in undergrad and you can see some of the participants start to fight back and they're like i'm hurting him like Mm -hmm. i can they could hear him screaming and Mm -hmm. he was acting because he was like in a in another room in another room they couldn't couldn't see him him. they could hear him they could hear him and they're like he's screaming he's saying this hurts he's saying Mm -hmm. please stop and there's just the authority figures like you have to continue. Yeah. You have to continue. And they kept doing it. And they're like, if these were real shocks, they would have killed this person. <laughs> wow. So. So what was the conclusion? Like what what came of that? What was the idea? Saying that we go further than our own morality when we are told to. We follow authority. I think mm. they assumed that people would stop sooner. Mm-hmm. Because mm. to do the right thing versus yeah. being yeah. told what to do. Measuring right. like mm. the willingness of an individual to obey an authority figure, even when it goes against your own moral being. Mm-hmm. Wow. So Zimbardo points to this experiment and says, we were trying to do the same thing, essentially. But times 10. But times 10. And actually hurting people. Milgram right. experiment. No one was actually hurt. Right. Zimbardo, we don't know. <laughs> So he said that the the SPE, which is the Stanford Prison Experiment, he says that it reveals that people will readily conform to the social role that they are expected to play. Yeah. Regardless of your personality or who you are. Everybody will conform. I think you can agree with that. Based on this experiment. Some people disagree. <laughs> of course they do. <laughs> so two factors at play that support this is the idea the idea of de individuation. So this is basically when you become so immersed in the norms of the group that you lose your own personal sense of identity and personal responsibility. Go with the group. Mm -hmm. Another one is learned helplessness, which nothing you do changes the outcome. So might as well stop. 
So he was saying the prisoners felt that they had learned helplessness. They realized nothing they did mattered. The guards were still going to do whatever they did. So they mm-hmm. became submissive. Mm-hmm. So conclusions and observations are pretty subjective and anecdotal. Um, the experiment is almost impossible to reproduce. Sure. Which... Because it's completely unethical. Because it's completely <laughs> unethical. And if you know anything about science, it's a bad experiment. If you yeah. can't reproduce it. Right. <laughs> it means nothing. It was a biased study from the beginning. Yes. 1973, a couple years after this, Eric Fromm, who is a pretty famous uh, social and political psychologist, he did a lot of work on the ideas of love and freedom. He argued that since only a third of the guards displayed sadistic behaviors. So they noticed there was three separate groups of guards, some who were fair and who tried to reward the prisoners, some who kind of just went with the flow, and then some who almost enjoyed coming up with ways to torture these people. So Fromm is saying only a third of the guards displayed these behaviors. So this shows that a situation cannot influence a person's behavior and that there was too many generalizations in the results and that the personality of an individual does affect our behavior, but only when imprisoned. So he's like, these are extreme conditions. Only 33% of people actually conformed. So can we even say that that's successful? Who knows? Another theory at play here is cognitive dissonance. Cognitive dissonance is essentially when something internalized in us is contradictory to another thing. So we're talking like feelings, ideas, beliefs, morals, things like that. So when two things are in conflict, we experience cognitive dissonance. So the theory behind this is that humans strive for internal consistency. We want things to be balanced. When that is disrupted, we try to reduce the dissonance. So we do this by justifying the behaviors, rationalizing things, or avoiding contradictory information, like confirmation bias. Basically saying everybody here was having some cognitive dissonance at some point because what they were being told may have conflicted with their own morals or their beliefs, and they were trying to do whatever they could to balance that out. Some, like the prisoners did that by submitting and just doing whatever they were asked of and not fighting back. Some of the guards did that by going along with the flow of those three who were kind of the more hostile and aggressive ones. So they were basically saying people were all affected by what others in their group were doing, if that makes sense. And then there's the Hawthorne effect. So this is the theory that our behaviors are shaped by the feeling or perception of being watched. So we act differently when we are observed. Oh, that's true. That's true. (laughs) Versus when we are alone. Mm -hmm. So in this case, the guards behaved more aggressively because the supervisors, who were really just the research assistants, were watching them and not stopping them. So they weren't being punished for acting aggressively. So they just kept doing it. Yeah, Mm -hmm. I get that. So there has been a lot of critiques about this experiment. Number one from the beginning is the selection bias. So the ad asked for prisoners and guards right from the get-go. It didn't ask for, hey, we're just doing like a vague psychology study. So it already put those roles out there. So maybe people who are more aggressive responded because they're like, ooh, I get to be a prison guard. Right. Um, 2008, two two critics, Thomas Carnahan and Sam McFarlane, argued that those selected already had traits that could be associated with abuse, such as aggression or narcissism. In 2012, psychologist Peter Gray argued that participants in these experiments are more likely to do what they think the researchers want them to do. So they think they should be aggressive, so they act aggressive. 
Um, This is basically called demand characteristics. You guess what you think the behavior is that is expected of you and you act according to that. So they had an orientation with the guards before this experiment and then began and talked to them about this is what is expected. So those guards were already going to act as hostile as they could. Furthermore, no interventions occurred when the guards were acting like this and being awful. So they assumed it was fine and to keep going. Exactly. They thought, oh, well, this is what's expected of me. In 2018, a French researcher. Let's hear it. The Bot Le Tizir. Did not say that correctly at all, I'm sure. <laughs> I'm so sorry, sir. You get the idea. He <laughs> published an article about this experiment and explained the sadism and the submission displayed in the experiment was directly caused by Zimbardo. He said he told the guards how to act and their desire to please him as the ultimate authority figure encouraged their behaviors. One guard said that his theater background led him to improvise more ways on how to demean the prisoners. And he drew on movies and things like that. And he said he even instructed the prisoners to simulate sodomy on one occasion. Oh boy. Zimbardo responded to this and said that other guards acted similarly or engaged with the other guards in the treatment of the prisoners. So he's like, I don't think that's true. Oh no. But most of the guards said after this, that they were intentionally acting and that this was not how they were Truly responding. Well, I'm sure they would want to think that after the fact because they probably realized how terrible they were. And how criticized it was. Mm -hmm. So I think that some of this might be saving face, honestly. For sure. So the legacy of this prison experiment. One of the very few positive things that came out. (laughs) The U.S. prisons actually made changes to how they were run after the results were published. So Zimbardo even submitted a statement to the 1971 U.S. House Committee on the Judiciary about his findings, which prompted changes. Number one being that adolescents and adults are not kept in the same holding cells or holding centers while waiting for trial. In March 2004, I'm going to butcher this again, the Abu Ghraib prison in Iraq. Okay. You guys might remember this. It's a prison in Iraq where there was a lot of prisoner torture and there was like a whole bunch of proceedings about it with U.S. personnel, Army personnel, and how they acted. Okay. So this was in March 2004, and Zimbardo got involved because he noted similarities with his experiment because our Army was torturing these prisoners in Iraq. (laughs) And he's still trying to justify his experiment. Mm -hmm. (laughs) He said, quote, I argue that we all have the capacity for love and evil to be Mother Teresa, to be Hitler or Saddam Hussein. Okay. It's the situation that brings that out. And he criticized the government because the government at the time when this all was coming out were saying that it was a few bad apples. It was a few bad, you know, guards. And Zimbardo said, no, this is a systematic problem. And the situation is what provoked these behaviors in them. So he even became involved with the defense team of the lawyers that represented one of the guards, Staff Sergeant Ivan Frederick, testified as an expert witness in his court-martial, but Frederick was ultimately sentenced to an eight-year prison sentence. So he later wrote a book called The Lucifer Effect, Understanding (laughs) How Good People Turn Evil, and it talks about the similarities between the two cases. So really the ethical concerns are what brought a lot of this to the forefront here. So the guards became so deeply absorbed into this role that they emotionally, physically, and mentally abused the prisoners, which brings into a lot of questions about ethics. Most serious being that they continued the experiments 
even when some people asked to leave. Mm. So they let those people leave, but they didn't stop the experiments. Yeah. They told the prisoners that they had the right to leave at any time, but really weren't encouraging them to leave. There was very limited oversight, which means that some things were in contradiction to what their contract actually said, like like being arrested without knowing about it. (laughs) Because of this, ethical guidelines for human experiments are much more strict now. One of the most important guidelines is basically a do no harm. So there are rules to prevent harmful treatment of participants. Human studies must be reviewed by the uh, research board, and they have to be approved by the ethical guidelines to be even started. Yeah, because do no harm was way too vague. Yeah. They had to really make that a little more specific. (laughs) So now anytime a human is involved in an experiment, you got to go before the board. You got to get approval from the APA. Yeah, it's difficult, as it should be. Yes. It's a lot more strict, which back in the 70s, it wasn't that strict. No, not at all. (laughs) Obviously. So the main goal here is the potential benefit to science has to outweigh the possible risk for physical or psychological harm. And in that case, they're not really sure if it did. Post-experimental debriefings are now practiced to ensure that participants are not harmed in human experiments. Um, The researchers did conduct these debriefings, but it was years later. And so now one of the ethical guidelines is that it has to be done ASAP to diminish any harm. Um, And they said because those were done years later, details were forgotten, things might have been missed. Zimbardo to this day claims that no long that no long-term negative effects were noted by any of the participants. Of course he's going to say that. He wasn't a prisoner. (laughs) He was not. So his findings in this study were published in the Naval Research Reviews, which, because it was funded by the Navy, he had to publish it with them. The International Journal of Criminology and Peniology, because they asked him to publish. And the New York Times Magazine, because he wanted to reach a broad audience. Of course he did. He did eventually get them published in the American Psychological Association's magazine, but they are more strict and it took him a while to get it published there. Hmm. Probably because they're like, listen, sir. <laughs> this doesn't sound great. We're not real sure about this. This isn't looking great. <laughs> we don't want to advertise this. Yeah. So you can watch the, the videos online. I've watched it a couple times back in undergrad and it is it's fascinating to see. I want to say I saw, I obviously haven't watched it, but there may be a documentary about it. There is a documentary that was more recent. Yeah. So I've Mm -hmm. seen like previews or whatever for that one, but I haven't done it. Is there a movie made off of it too? Yeah. So they made a movie, um, the Stanford Prison Experiment in the last like five years or so. Mm -hmm. So I've been meaning to watch those. I've not done either of them. Mm -hmm. Now you have inspiration. Yeah. You have inspiration. Have you watched 60 Days In on Netflix? Mm -mm. Have you? I've watched a few episodes kind of interesting mm-hmm. obviously they're knowing participants right um but they go into the prison the prisons, system yes. and the, the prisoners don't know that they are mm-hmm. i've heard of it from the outside world but it is an interesting perspective there still seems to like a lot of messed up things but i think most it's of it has of to do with, yeah, for real i think the most messed up stuff just makes you realize like how fucked up our prison system is really mm-hmm. uh, but there's a nice spotlight on that so Zimbardo, he's still alive. He's okay. 90 years old. He's going to he's telling everybody about it. He is. He's retired now. Well, yeah. He's no longer professor, so. doctor. He's just doctor. Doctor, professor, <laughs> former professor, still doctor. He Zimbardo. has <laughs> done a lot of work um, and written a lot of books on shyness, cults, and mind control. Okay. Also on things such as altruism and compassion. And despite his unethical study... He has defended it over the years, and he has done a lot of good work for psychology 
mainly focusing on exploring human behavior and our capacity for good and evil. I mean, like, I can see what he was trying to do. Oh, yeah. It just 100%. wasn't executed very well. <laughs> it wasn't executed well. It's, like they said, impossible to replicate. So we don't even know if anything really is yeah. valid. But I get what he's doing. Yeah. I mean, you're trying to explain. Can people, can good yeah. people do bad things because of their situation? I mean, I can even kind of understand, like, the idea of having these random people mm-hmm. making some prisoners. I can understand that. But, like, it got way out of hand. There was no oversight. He didn't step <laughs> in when he should have. Yeah. Um. He said one of the other main things that made him quit the study was they did like a fake parole hearing <laughs> and had the prisoners come up and like explain why they thought they should be released on parole or whatever. And he said a lot of them talked about their crimes, their fake crimes. Yeah. Like so honestly, like that they like honestly thought that they had done something. And they like, really on t- taken on that persona. They like, really internalized I... it killed a man yeah this really like happened. they really internalized it and he was like i was just like wow this is this is going too far yeah that's only after i think it is <laughs> yeah. yeah i mean people are literally peeing and pooping in buckets yes that are not being emptied and sleeping Gross. on the floor mm. good job that is the stanford prison experiment fascinating i love it not just because it was my idea but because it, <laughs> you did a really good job i tried thank you you, you did a nice job All right, guys, thanks so much for tuning in this week. You can always find us at thetipsyghost.com with our socials linked from there or send us an email at thetipsyghost at gmail.com. Please give us a five-star rating and a great review anywhere you listen to podcasts. We really appreciate it, and it really does help. All right, we will catch you guys next week. Okay, bye. Bye. Bye.